Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is an RNZ podcast. You can hear the house just gasp, you know, what on earth? And what was fascinating, people thought I had inside info, you know, someone was leaking stuff to me. If you look back over the history of, recent history of New Zealand's parliament, it'd be one of the the issues that perhaps dominated question time mm-hmm. for almost 18 months. Welcome to Crimes NZ with me, Jesse Mulligan. In this episode, we're looking into a case of political corruption. In 2009, Taito Philip Field was convicted of bribery and corruption and sentenced to six years in prison. This after he helped eight people secure visas in return for work they did on his private properties. Before going to court, Field's actions were examined in Parliament, most intently by opposition spokesperson on immigration, the Right Honourable Lockwood Smith, who asked the minister a whopping 400 questions on this topic. It was a major, I guess, issue at the time. It blew up just prior to the 2005 election. And, of course, initially the Prime Minister, Helen Clark, uh, didn't want to know about it, you know, just five days before the election. But she finally, about three days after the election, agreed to an inquiry into the issues. But she constrained the inquiry quite significantly, you know, the terms of reference <laughs> related to just conflicts of interest in his role as a minister. But, of course, he wasn't Minister of Immigration. So the, the, the chances of being a real conflict of interest uh-huh. under those terms were almost nil. Now, Noel Ingram was, was appointed to conduct the inquiry, and he was meant to report in nine days. So the inquiry was set, I think, 20th of September 2005. He was meant to report back on the 4th of October, nine day, working days later. It was nine months <laughs> later, nine months before he finally reported. And, of course, initially I kept questioning the Prime Minister about what was going on because, you know, the report just didn't appear. And, uh, and so it was nine months later. I mean, 400 questions, you obviously had the bit between your teeth. Was it one of the bigger issues that you, that you took up uh, as an opposition MP? I think if you look back over the history of, recent history of New Zealand's parliament, it would be one of the, the issues that perhaps dominated question time mm-hmm. for almost 18 months. Yeah. And uh, it was quite tricky because under the standing orders, you cannot question a minister about something the minister is not responsible for. So sometimes when I'd question the Prime Minister, for example, she'd say she's not responsible for the actions of a member of parliament. And what Tito Philip Field did, he did these things as a member of parliament, seeking to get special directions for... I think he made 481 applications to the Associate Minister of Immigration to get special directions to enable work uh, visas or work permits to be issued to certain people. And 262 of those were issued. 
And that, that's quite extraordinary. Yeah. And so the questions were all about, you know, I had to make them a, a minister accountable for what I was asking. And, and that was quite tricky because yeah. otherwise they'd be ruled out. Um, you, of course, were Speaker of the House yourself, so you know all about this. And, and we'll come to maybe the impact that this had on the approach that you took. Was Field in Parliament during this inquiry? Was he still an MP? He had to stand down as a minister because he, while he was not a minister of immigration, he was a minister outside of cabinet. And they stood him down not long after the inquiry, well, just after the inquiry was announced. But, um, yeah, he was in Parliament all the time. And uh, at times, you know, even though I had, I was just trying to make sure the executive was held to account properly. I didn't have, I wasn't trying to knife Tito Philip Field. But understandably, I guess, he took it pretty personally. And a couple of, over a couple of weeks there, after I'd been questioning for about eight or nine months, he took a couple of points of order and challenged me to repeat what I was saying outside the house. He said one day, I think if I had any spine or any guts, I would uh, repeat these allegations outside Parliament. And then uh, not long after that... Sorry, the significance of that for people listening who don't understand what that would mean is that you are protected somewhat yeah. when you're inside the House. Yeah, when you're inside the House, you have privilege. And uh, and the Speaker seeks, uh, every time there's a new Parliament, the Speaker seeks from the Governor-General those privileges, the privileges of Parliament. And uh, normally they sought, say in the UK, they sought from the monarch. Uh, here in New Zealand, they sought from the Governor-General, and the Governor-General grants those privileges to members of Parliament. And they're really important because it means a member of Parliament can say anything inside the House without being sued. But if you repeat outside of the House mm. what you've said inside the House, you can be sued. And uh, and I guess uh, Tito Philip Field was threatening me to... Yeah. A- and to return to what you were saying earlier, it's not as simple as you being able to get up and say, hey, Field, you've got these allegations, answer yourself. There's a whole procedure and protocol and you have to put a question to the minister. And so you chose, uh, you were doing it between Helen Clark, the Prime Minister, and also the Minister of Immigration. And also the Minister of Immigration, yeah. For example, I guess there was one day in particular that I'll never forget. It was the question time on the 11th of October, 2006. And I had to, I was questioning the Minister of Immigration at the time, and I had to ask whether the Minister was entitled to know certain things before decisions were made. Because I had to frame a question so that, you know, the Minister had some responsibility, because the Minister was not responsible for something Tito Philip Field did as mm-hmm. a Member of Parliament. Yeah. So that particular day, I, I asked a question, because uh, the House would, when the Speaker called me, after some months of this, weeks of this going on, the House would just go quiet. <laughs> Yeah, because and on this particular day, I asked the uh, the Minister of Immigration whether the minister was entitled to have been told by Tito Philip Field whether a certain person who was known as the Ty Tyler, I'd better not mention his name, it's mm. not fair, the Ty Tyler had tiled 460 square metres of floor in Mr Field's home in Samoa and had also, for no pay, and had also tiled Maxine's cake shop owned by Field's stepson in Samoa, and laid a new floor at Maria's Healthcare Pharmacy, owned run by Mrs. Field's daughter-in-law in Samoa. And you, hear the, you could feel the, hear the house just <laughs> gasp, you know, what on earth? And what was fascinating, people thought I had inside info, you know, someone was leaking stuff to me. I just read the Ingram report carefully, 
Right. It was fascinating. When the Ingram report was released nine months after the inquiry was announced, it was uh, July 2006, initially in Parliament, Tito Philip Field held it up and claimed it exonerated him. We managed to get a snap debate the next day. And even and members of Parliament were waving it around in Parliament saying how it showed that Mr Field had the utmost integrity. And even the Deputy Prime Minister, Michael Cullum, actually held the report up and said it showed what a wonderful member of Parliament Tito Philip Field was. And he'd helped so many, if he was guilty of anything, it was being so helpful to his constituents and accused the opposition of being useless because we didn't help our constituents as much. Right. And so that was the environment. And the day after, on 19th of July that year, the Prime Minister, Helen Clark, said there was no, fur- no evidence that any further inquiry was needed. And yet, uh, a few months later, the police initiated an inquiry, and I just kept those questions rolling. Kept yeah. the, And to me, it was an important function for Parliament, because if you look at the, the judge's statements when he sentenced Tito Philip Field, he said that the actions, Field's actions, had, uh, I get his words exactly right, had threatened the institution at the foundation of our democracy. Now, that's pretty, those are pretty pretty hard words. So the police announced they were investigating all allegations against Mr Field six weeks after the Ingram report was released. Uh, I guess that could have been the end of it for you, but I think you continued pursuing it, right? Yeah, because what troubled me was the risk. If Noel Ingram hadn't been able to you know, get at exactly what had gone on, I was troubled that, you know, would the police inquiry... Uh, really get into what had happened. So I just kept the questioning going to make sure that the issue didn't get, you know, didn't get buried. Mm. And uh, yeah, I'm sure politically it was useful too, right? If there's someone on the on the run in the uh, in the government and the Labor Party and um, and and the top brass are denying it, that's got to you got to smell blood. Yeah, I think I think the thing that made it politically uh, more powerful was the, exactly what you said. The way the leaders, the way Prime Minister herself and the Deputy Prime Minister had claimed there was no issue here. You know that uh, the the, re- the report had exonerated uh, Tito Philip Field, etc. And I think that's what made it a big issue. That you know, to me, if you read Ingram's report, it was so clear he didn't have the power to actually require anyone to provide evidence. He didn't have the... When Helen Clark set up that inquiry, she didn't give him the power to uh, to require anyone to answer questions. So Ingram had to actually try and construct what he thought might have happened. Interestingly, the Associate Minister of Immigration who made the decisions around those people is still in Parliament. Uh, it was the uh, Honourable Damien O'Connor was Associate Minister of Immigration at the time. And he claims, even though there was a lot of evidence he'd been told what was going on, he claims he didn't know. Interestingly, after the snap, after the election in 2005, he was moved uh, from being uh, Associate Minister of Immigration. So yeah, he couldn't well, be questioned. Well, not only to get us out of, in trouble outside of the privilege of uh, Parliament, Sir Lockwood, but um, I guess it takes one thing for uh, an MP to request special treatment uh, for a, a certain person, but then someone within the Minister of Immigration, Minister of Immigration has got to agree to it, right? Yeah, and that's why that's why the uh, the role of the Minister was quite important. That's why Noel Ingram tried to construct what the, the Associate Minister, because the Associate Minister makes these decisions, tried to construct what he knew, but uh, it never was revealed what uh, um, what the Minister actually knew. Yeah. Were you... 
Um, and, and, you know, I'll point out to people who don't, don't realise, but you're a member of the National Party and Helen Clark was the leader of a Labour government, so, so we'll bear that in mind. But were you disappointed with how the Prime Minister at the time dealt with it or, was it, or did she deal with it just as you would expect someone to do, given the political damage that could occur if she'd done it another way? I think I was a little surprised because when I read the report in detail, it was so obvious there were issues there. And I and um, I mean Helen Clark was a very competent, very competent politician and a very competent prime minister, and I, I was a bit surprised that that if had she personally read that report in detail, I would have been surprised had she made the decisions she did straight afterwards. And I'm surprised even her advisers didn't say, "Hang on, prime minister." There are some issues here that need to be thought about. You talked about the terms of reference, by the way, and it takes me back to my public law classes at uh, at law school. But um, that that's quite a common way of dealing with the problem, right? You announce an inquiry, you hand it over to a QC or whoever to do the inquiry, and then you tell them what they're allowed to investigate, and you make it so narrow that actually the most damaging stuff might not even, in fact, is prevented from coming up. And not, not saying that's what happened here, but it's in general political terms. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I, there's nothing wrong with doing that. To me, the surprising bit was, given the report that resulted from the inquiry, I'd have thought if, if, the, if Helen Clark had read it carefully, mm-hmm. should have seen that there are issues here, even, you know, and, and that might have suggested, you know, not treating it quite as Okay. You, know, you know, suggesting no further inquiry was needed. And I guess it was the way it was treated when it came out that caused me to keep questioning it because it was so obvious to me. There are issues here that Noel Ingram is almost begging someone to follow up on. You know, he didn't have the power to um, get the answers. And when you read the report carefully, you just see what he was getting at. And, I mean, I didn't have further outside, you know, inside info. I just read the report. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, was, how did it all come up in the first place, by the way? Forgive me, I can't remember how yeah. it blew up. I think it was mainstream media got a story. Right. What the story they got, I think, was warnings from immigration officers offshore. They even actually named the immigration officers that uh, had tried to alert the minister, the associate minister at the time, that there are issues here. Mm. And uh, when you read the uh, the Wikipedia background of the associate minister at the time, the fact he was associate minister is strangely missing from his Wikipedia record. <laughs> well, you'll have to become a Wikipedia editor, Sir Lockwood, so no, you can correct the record. Never, never. You're too busy on the farm. Too busy doing other stuff. So back to the Toto Philip Field timeline. Um, we've had the inquiry. We've had a lot of questions from you. The police get involved. They investigate. And then it goes to trial. Yeah. Yeah. You're involved in the no, trial? No, no. no. Okay. And I, I think it would not be appropriate either. I, I think it was um, all I did, I think, was kept the issue uh, alive and, and, and prevented it from being buried and, and I think demonstrated that there were issues that needed to be investigated. So he was on trial for bribery and corruption. And, and offhand, you know what the rules are around bribery and corruption as a minister or a member of the House? I think they're the standard legal rules. You know, there were allegations made that um, that Tito Philip Field had indicated to people wanting his help to get special directions on work permits that they're required to pay him, and uh, and that sort of thing, and and which is standard 
bribery and corruption type. Presumably you'd need to declare it as well, like a, a bit of a conflict if you're an MP and you were <laughs> well, giving, work, <laughs> giving work to people who were also applying for visas from your government. Obviously it wasn't declared or yeah. it would have been uh, obvious what was going on. Yeah. But it was also convicted of, I think... Uh, at least a dozen, a dozen charges of attempting to pervert the course of justice as well. And uh, so it was not just charges of bribery and corruption, it was also charges of attempting to pervert the course of justice. And, uh, and I think those were possibly, um, you know, what caused the, uh, uh, the verdict to be pretty, or the sentencing to be quite severe. I mean... Right, he'd done wrong, but then was presumably yeah, trying to cover, trying to cover it up. It up. Mm. Yeah. So what happens? Oh, he's, he's found guilty. He's sentenced after four months of trial. And then is he still an MP at that stage when he's convicted? Uh, no, I think by that time he had been, uh, forgive me, I, I can't remember the dates yeah. that uh, on which... Presumably he, not a good look to have one of your uh, ministers or ex-ministers, one of your MPs in, in court each day. He'd been, allegations. he'd been removed from the Labour Party and he resigned, I think... Uh, he, I can't remember now, but he resigned from the Labour Party yeah, and, and stayed in Parliament as an independent MP for a while, and uh, and so you know, the, once it became clear what was going on, Labour moved to. Uh, I mean, he was stood down immediately. In fairness, uh, the Prime Minister stood him down immediately from his ministerial roles, but then when for, the, for inquiry, the inquiry, yeah, yeah, for the inquiry. But then once it was, uh, the, I think, once the police. Uh, you know, once the, it went to prosecution, he was uh, removed from the Labour Party. Mm. And so did the Prime Minister, as you, you recall, at any point say, hey, we might, might have got that wrong? Not that I recollect, no. No, it, uh, it was... Um it was something that, as a member of Parliament, I didn't particularly enjoy. You know, I, I'm because I wasn't trying, as I said, I wasn't trying to knife Tito Philip Field. To me, it was an issue of ministerial accountability, mm -hmm. and I didn't see ministers accepting, or the prime minister, for that matter, accepting the need to address more, you know, more clearly and more definitely a serious, a serious issue. And as the, as the uh, court found, it was a hell of a serious issue. We haven't mentioned David Cunliffe, who was the Minister of Immigration, when you were putting these questions to him. Uh, how did he respond? He's an interesting sort of parliamentary <laughs> character. Yeah, he at times tried to appeal to the Speaker that my questions were out of order or, uh, you know... And interestingly, you know, the Speaker, Margaret, Speaker Margaret Wilson, was quite strong in, in requiring the Minister to answer my questions. But I put a lot of work into crafting those questions because I knew that... You know, if you asked a sloppy question, it could be ruled out. Mm. You had to be very careful to make sure the question addressed ministerial accountability. Leave no wiggle room. Yeah, and and Speaker Wilson was was pretty was very fair in making sure that uh, you know that ministers couldn't try and use points of order to wiggle out of out of answering. Mind you, not all questions were answered, but in not answering them, some at times the, uh, the the seriousness of the issue is revealed, if you like. I should say, by the way, in case she's uh, listening, that uh, Margaret Wilson was my lecturer for those public law <laughs> lectures all the way uh, back in the early 90s, well before all this, uh, University of Waikato. So this is the first time, I believe, in New Zealand that uh, a Member of Parliament has been found guilty of bribery and corruption. Is it significant beyond the case itself in terms of precedent or, or its impacts on New Zealand political life? 
I think it's, it was a, a very important message that none of us are above the law, you know, that it uh, uh, doesn't matter who you are in New Zealand, uh, if you break the law, you'll be, you can be held to account. And I think that was an important message to members of parliament that sometimes might think that they can do anything. Well, they can't. But for me personally, I guess it was a, it reinforced what I believed question time could do. And so when I became Speaker of the House, I tried to make question time more valuable to people, more valuable to members of parliament, where they could, if they asked a minister a straightforward question, they could get an answer to it. And that had not been happening for some years. You know, for some years, uh, all ministers had to do in answering a question was just address it, if you like, use some words that might relate to the, the question and get away without answering it. But while I was speaker, I actually would sit a minister down, explain the question to them and require them to answer it. And I think that was a lot of, I think members of the public found that actually quite useful. You were technically a member of that government, or maybe not technically, you remember the party anyway. Some of them might have expected you to show leniency towards government ministers, but you felt that your role required some impartiality and required you to be as hard on them. The role of speaker is absolutely that, Jesse, yeah. that the, a good speaker, if anything, in my humble opinion, ought to be slightly harder on their own party ministers, if you like. Okay, I was a National Party member, but I was Speaker. And and one of the primary roles of Parliament in our Westminster system is holding the executive to account. That's the cabinet, if you like, the Prime Minister and, and the ministers to holding them to account. And question time is so important in doing that. Members of Parliament must be able to get answers to fair questions. If a member gets up and makes a political statement and asking a question, well, don't expect the speaker to protect them if the minister gives a political answer mm. and uh, and the minister gets the last say. So it, to me, but where a member asks a straight question, seeking information, where the minister's accountable, the minister should answer it. I mean, there was the occasion where I even sat the prime minister down, good mate of mine, John Key, I sat him down and said, Prime Minister, you know, the question asks this. This is a matter of there is a considerable public interest. The House deserves an answer. And call him to his feet to answer it. Did you run into Tito Philip Field after all this? No. Hear anything from him? No. Sad no. story? Sad story because Tito Philip Field had a very good reputation when he in Parliament. You know, he was a person who tried to help his people. I mean, he was a leader among someone among the Pacific Island community. Tito is a title. And, uh, and, you know, in his heart, I believe, he really did try to help people. But, you know, this tragic issue of, um, you know, wanting to get some benefits from the good work you do, you can't do that as a member of parliament. You know, I guess in all my 29 years as a member of parliament, I spent so much time helping constituents. But I never, ever wanted anything returned for it, not even their vote. You know, often, say, as a, as a member of parliament, as a national member of parliament, you're helping people who are the less privileged in society, helping them deal with the bureaucracy. And, you know, I spent half my life helping people who probably never voted for me, and I never, ever asked them for their vote. Never. Never asked them for anything. Your job is to help people when you're a member of parliament. And, uh, and I'm sure Tito Philip Field set out to do that but sadly crossed that line of, of not fully appreciating the boundaries 
that are necessary. And I think it was very sad that, because I think by the time he was convicted, I was speaker. And, uh, you know, I, I was kind of sad that a former member, a former colleague, ended up that way. You've been listening to Crimes NZ, hosted by me, Jesse Mulligan. This week, I was joined by former Speaker of the House, the Right Honourable Lockwood Smith. Thanks for your time, Lockwood. An amazing team goes into producing the Crimes NZ podcast. Melita Tull, Charlie Drever, Sam Hollis and Ayanna Piper-Helian. This episode was edited by Grant Walker and Liz Garten. Tim Watkin is executive producer of RNZ Podcasts. Crimes NZ is available on all good podcasting apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio and Google. It's even on YouTube now if that's how you'd prefer to listen. Remember to follow the series so you don't miss any new episodes. And look out for other great podcasts from RNZ like The Art of Entertaining, a complete change of pace to this one. In it, hosts Jamie Poipoi and Maria Tanner plan a party using a rule book from the 1970s. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in, hold on. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.